0: Well, as of this past week, I trust you have heard, we have a new national holiday called Juneteenth. Um, I confess that I just heard of Juneteenth myself uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, Maybe you had never heard of it even until this past week, but uh, it is a holiday that commemorates uh, the day back in 1865 when Union soldiers brought the news of freedom to enslaved uh, black people in Galveston, Texas, that was more than two months after the Confederacy had surrendered. For those, for those months, and to some degree, even going back to the Emancipation Proclamation that had been a couple of years earlier, these men and women in Galveston, in Texas, they were living as slaves, even though, legally, they had been declared free. For, for that period of time, in between the, the proclamation and the legal declaration of freedom and the news actually coming to them, it was as though they did not know who they really were. They were not living in light of, they were not enjoying the new identity that was theirs. Now, I I think there is a similar dynamic in our relationship with the Lord Jesus and our experience of the freedom that we have in Jesus through our union with him. I, I believe some of us here this morning, I think many of us here perhaps this morning, are... Ignorant of or perhaps forgetful of, maybe downplaying or minimizing the, uh, the status that we have been given, what's true of us, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, in that declaration that we are in Christ. This this reality of being in Christ, of being united with Christ, of being attached to him and connected to him is really the subject of that passage that we just heard read from John's gospel. Uh, We have been studying this gospel. We have been over the past couple of months in these chapters, uh, chapters 13 through 17 in particular, which chronicle what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. In which he is both comforting and instructing his disciples in the hours immediately before his departure from them he is soon to be betrayed and arrested and crucified and as we considered john chapter 14 over the past few sundays we saw jesus words were filled with comfort he was not wanting the hearts of his disciples to be troubled and now It seems as though the disciples are on the move. They've been in the upper room where they had observed the the Last Supper. You see the end of chapter 14. Your Bibles are still open, and I encourage your Bibles to still be open uh, during this time. The last statement in in chapter 14 says, Rise, let us go from here. So it seems as though Jesus is now on the move with his disciples. And as we move with Jesus and his disciples, he begins to give them further instructions about how they should live with him even in his physical absence. He's told them plainly that he is going away. But he expects them to continue living on in close communion with him. He expects them to still be abiding in him. That's really the dominant controlling commandment in these verses. Look at verse for abide in me—that's what Jesus is getting at. You can see that by the repetition of the word. Did you notice that has been read how many times? That idea of abiding was drawn out in the passage. This matter of abiding in Christ is, I believe, the key to living a Christian life. So let's let's think about it a little bit this morning and consider the need for abiding the experience of abiding, and the fruit of abiding. The need for abiding, the experience of abiding, the fruit of abiding. And I I have been praying, I am particularly burdened, as I have studied this passage this week, I am particularly burdened that we would come to know this experience more and more of what it means to abide in Jesus. First, we see in this passage there is a need for abiding. If we are to live as followers of Jesus, if we are to bear fruit for him, which seems to be expected as we read, as we listen to Jesus in these verses, if we're to live as followers of Jesus, we must abide in him. Look again at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Unless we abide in Jesus, who is the vine, he says there, he identifies himself in verse 1 as the vine, unless we abide in Jesus, we cannot bear fruit. Indeed, Jesus says, we can actually do nothing apart from him and abiding in him. you see that in verse 5? Right at the end of verse 5, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Kids, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Did you get yourself some breakfast this morning? Yes, I got yogurt. Some yogurt? What else? I, I Cereal, maybe, maybe some eggs. Did you know? Sorry, people. You Does somebody want to tell me? What? Toast. Toast is a good breakfast. Did you know, kids, that if you went, if you got something, even if you ate breakfast this morning, you can't even eat breakfast without Jesus. He says you can do nothing without him. God's word says, in Him we live and move. And have our being. He is the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So even having a piece of toast is not something you can do without him. Now that being said, that's not actually what I just wanted to say that. Because it's good that we recognize that you're not going to make it home today. You're not going to make it to your vehicle today without Jesus sustaining you. And it's good that we remember that. That's not actually, though, what Jesus means here when he talks about being able to do nothing without him. He's talking here in these verses, he's talking about the sphere of of pleasing him, of glorifying him, as it says there in verse 8. That's what this fruit-bearing is about. And Jesus says, without him, apart from abiding in him, you can do nothing to please or glorify God. He, he doesn't say, you could bear a little bit of fruit. If you really want to maximize your fruitfulness potential, you should stay attached to me. You could get on a little bit without me. He does not say that. He does not say, you'll bear a modest amount of fruit. Maybe not a lot, but at least it would have some respectable quality. He does not say that. He says, apart from him, you can do nothing. Jesus is our creator. He is our creator. Sustainer, He is the exclusive source of our life as Christians. Without Him, we don't exist. And without Him, we are spiritually dead and helpless and hopeless. We are unable to produce anything but filthy rags if all we have is ourselves. But as we sing so often and so joyfully, we sang it last Sunday... All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. This passage in John 15 is just filled with pointers of what God in Christ has done for us spiritually barren dead branches that really deserve to just be cut off and thrown into the fire and burned, like Jesus says in verse 6, we see all about what he has done for us. Verse 16 says he has chosen us, that he has appointed us, that we should bear lasting fruit. Now in the context of John's gospel, I think that is particularly a statement to the 11 apostles who had been chosen as his apostles. And we see the fruit of their own ministry abiding even in this gathering, even in the gospel, going out from This little town, this this little place where Jesus was gathering these disciples and and spreading across the globe as it has. Even here in Pippin, we see some of that abiding fruit. But we know it is also true what Paul says in Ephesians, that we have been chosen, all Christians have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And we have been chosen that we might be holy and blameless before him. He has chosen us. He has chosen. Verse 9 says, he has loved us. as the, I mean, this is a statement that deserves a sermon or ten. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. He has loved us and he has shown that love by laying down his life for us, verse 13 says. Greater love has no one than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We were his enemies when he did that. We were dead, we were weak and helpless, and he came and rescued us and died for us when we were sinners. And by that sacrificial death he has, as it says in verse 3, he has made us clean. You are already clean, Jesus says. Before he talks about how to be fruitful in an ongoing way, he says you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, this gospel word of salvation of what he has done by his sacrificial death on the cross. We who are God's enemies, we have been counted as beloved, treasured friends. This is not in any way through anything that we have done, but it is entirely on the basis of what he has done. We, apart from him, can do nothing. Because even even though we were not part of of ethnic Israel, we too are, are like that defiled rotten vineyard that Ra read to us from Isaiah chapter 5. And, and if you're here this morning and you're maybe not sure what you believe, maybe you come, have come here today because someone invited you to come and you're not considering yourself perhaps to be a Christian, I hope you'll particularly pay attention for the next couple of minutes. We, we are talking this morning about how to live the Christian life. I want to make sure that we're very clear with you about what it means to actually be a Christian. God created mankind in the very beginning, we see it in the first chapter of the Bible. God created mankind to be fruitful and multiply. And that, that being fruitful and multiplying is not only a call to biological procreation, but we see in the narrative of Scripture as it continues, it is a call to multiply image bearers of God who would glorify God by bearing the fruits of love and obedience and service and thanksgiving. Directing the entirety of our lives to his honor and praise. That's why God made you.
1: But the Bible goes on
0: to say, and your own experience would confirm it, that all of us have rejected God's loving and wise authority. It's not necessarily that we don't like anything about God, but we only like the things about God that we find useful or suitable to us. And then we tend to discard the rest. And thus we have earned for ourselves, not His unfailing love, but what we have earned for ourselves is His just indignation. And yet, though we have made ourselves His enemies instead of His friends, God is love. And He has loved us when we were profoundly unlovable by sending His beloved Son into the world. Jesus has loved us. He's loved all His people with a a love that we don't deserve by laying down his life in order to cleanse us from our guilt and restore us to peace with God and to bring us into the joy of friendship with him, to be a friend of God. Jesus, he says there in verse 1 that he is the true vine. All that Israel had failed to be. Again, Rob read a little bit of it in Isaiah 5. All that Israel failed to be. Jesus has come perfectly. He has perfectly reflected God's glory. He has perfectly borne that fruit of holiness and obedience and love. And he completed that obedience by giving his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all who would turn from their rebellion and believe upon him. (coughs) This is is good news and it is so otherworldly. Our culture says that your biggest problems are outside of you, and the solutions are found inside of you. God's Word says just the opposite. Your biggest problem is within. It is your innate rebellion against a holy and good God, and the only solution is outside of you, the mercy of that God, whom you have offended by his sending his own Son, Jesus, to bear the judgment that you deserve. If you have not received that love for yourself, I I urge you to do that today by believing in Him, by repenting of your self-rule. If you want to understand more of what I've just tried to explain in a couple minutes, do talk to someone who who maybe invited you, or someone who's sitting around you, or I would be delighted to talk with you after the service. If you have come to know that love, which I know is the overwhelming majority of you, Brothers and sisters, thank God freshly born. Praise God today that the finished work, His finished work, is the sole basis of your right standing with God. If you you would come here today and you would lament the lack of fruitfulness in your life, if you would lament how weak you are, how needy you are, if you're troubled by the, the sluggish stop and start, two steps forward, one step back, nature of your growth in Christ, go back to this foundation and remember that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Praise him. Praise him for it. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. So if you're aware of your sickness, if you're aware of your weakness and need, Jesus said, he's come just for you. Don't beat yourself up. Don't berate yourself. Go back to the vine and abide in Jesus. (laughs) Now, what exactly does that mean abide in Jesus Paul where Paul I'm thankful you brought me that towel that would have been a rough it would have been a rough I don't even know where he doesn't want it thank you Paul because it would be a rough go if I didn't have this right now. what does it mean to abide? that sounds like Christianese doesn't it let's be honest Say, how you doing what you know I just abiding in Jesus we, just, we use that language. It, we don't really use the word abide, I don't think, in everyday language, but we'll, it's in the Bible there. And so we, we just got to abide in Jesus. I, we do. <laughs> but what does that even mean? What do we do exactly? Well, let's talk about the experience of abiding. First, I, I want you to notice that the environment in which this abiding takes place is not one of serenity. It's not one of unrivaled ease and comfort. If you do a Google image search, which I tend to, I think I have on one occasion, maybe encouraged to do that even right in the service. I'm not encouraging you to do that today. But if you were to do a Google image search for abiding in Christ, you will see very lush vineyards, ripe, juicy grapes. Everything looks pristine in those pictures. But listen to how Jesus begins this whole metaphor of abiding in the vine. Look, go back and look at verse one again. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I'll say something about these fruitless branches later. But for now, notice that as we abide in jesus jesus says that the father is acting like a vine dresser tending to us as branches cultivating us through the process of pruning to make us more fruitful now gardening has never been my type of thing okay so i don't know a lot about gardening, but i think i understand enough to know that what happens in pruning is you cut off certain parts of the plant, which improves the overall health and growth of the plant. (laughs) This, Jesus says, is like what the Father is doing with his people, his branches. That adfruting may come from the admonition of a friend, perhaps, maybe a spouse, calling you out, and telling you away that you've been walking, perhaps, in disobedience. Maybe it comes directly from the scriptures itself. Uh, often it comes through our faithful vine dressers sending adverse circumstances in order to purify and refine us. I, I, won't, give you the, I won't read the verses to you, but I'll just, if you want to look at this, the scripture says much about how God uses suffering. Suffering is one of those pruning shears in our loving father's uh, shed. You could read, I won't read them to you, but you could read Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. Or James 1, 2 through 4. Or 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Or Romans 5, 3 through 5, which I referred to earlier in the pastoral prayer. God purifies his people. He's growing us in fruitfulness through our experience of suffering. Every cut he makes. And I'm mindful that I'm speaking to people who know suffering, who are walking through pain and adversity right now. God's word said that every cut he makes is an expression of love and wisdom and tender care. Has he been pruning you recently, Christian brother or sister? Have you maybe mistaken, have you been tempted to mistake his careful pruning as his anger? Or his indifference. You know, if those plants could talk, I'm sure they would cry out in the midst of the pruning process. What are you doing? This hurts. How, how can I bear fruit if you keep chopping at things the way you are? But the vine dresser knows what he's doing, though the plant may may not. And so our heavenly Father, He is a loving and careful gardener. He knows what he's doing when he sends us sorrow. Brothers and sisters, submit to and rest in his purposeful pruning. The word of God says, humble yourself under his mighty hand, that he may exalt you in due time. If you find yourself in the middle of a pruning season, just come talk to one of us elders, talk to another brother and sister. We'd love to care for you, we'd love to listen to you, pray for you. Uh, you may want to do a search this afternoon. Uh, there's a, a book by a man named Thomas Watson who's a Puritan. He wrote a book called All Things for Good. It's an exposition of Romans 8.28, that wonderful promise of Romans 8.28. And he has a chapter in that book where he talks about the ways that afflictions, he gives ten ways that afflictions serve our growth in Christ. Uh, you may want to take a look at that. Again, let, let, let us care for you. Let us pray for you if you find yourself in such a season. It's in that kind of experience, that experience of pruning, that Jesus is calling us to abide in him. Now back to the question, what does it mean, really? To abide, the word literally means, and it's, it's used this way in many other places in scripture, just to, to remain, to stay in a place. That's what the word abide means, to stay, to, to dwell, to make a home in, to abide in Jesus' is to trust in Jesus, it's to remain in close fellowship with him, it's to commune with him so that his own life and power and vitality flows like a life-giving sack into your life. I, I think the reality of friendship uh, sheds light on what this abiding looks like. A couple of times in this passage, Jesus refers to us as his friends. To to have Jesus, to abide in Jesus is to seek his presence and fellowship the way you do with your closest friend. Uh, you know in those deep, if you think of a friend maybe that you don't see all that often, maybe they're coming from out of town, a real close friend you're going to spend some time with, you don't really labor that much as you're preparing to see your friend about oh, well, all the specifics of what you're going to do. You're just looking to hang out. You just want to be in their presence. You just want to enjoy time with them. You don't have to think about what it's like to do that. Jesus says he's your friend. To abide in Jesus is to enjoy Jesus. It's to know him better. It's to anchor yourself in him, to dwell in him, to love him, to seek him earnestly. And if that still seems a little bit too abstract for you, like if, if just hang with Jesus. If that's not exactly what you were looking for, Jesus gets more specific there in verse 7. Look at verse 7. You want to know, what does it mean? Tell me something to do. Here it is in verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You want to know? What is that sack? flowing between the vine and the branches that that gives and sustains life and energy and vitality. Jesus says that what it is that produces that flourishing and that fruitfulness to the glory of God is Jesus' words. Jesus has already said this in John's gospel. In chapter 6, verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. That's very similar to Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. The spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we abide in, as we meditate on, as we... Enjoy the rich nourishment of God's word, we become fruitful people. We become durable people. We become flourishing in all of our ways. We come to know that blessedness that the psalmist himself spoke of at the very beginning of Psalms. I was thinking about this passage so much as I was reflecting on this imagery in John 15. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He, that man, that blessed man, who avoids the way of sinners, and who meditates and delights in God's law, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its life does does not wither. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That experience, which was Jesus' perfect experience. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of Psalm 1. That experience becomes our experience through our union with Jesus. His word. Not just the red letters in your Bible. Not just the words of Jesus. But the entirety of his word. Which finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It becomes a source of life-giving Refreshing strength and stability. And all the more when we turn it back to Him in prayer. If my words abide in you, ask whatever I wish. Let me just give you a glimpse of, of what it looks like. Because sometimes an, an illustration is, is helpful. So you're, let's say you're anxious about something. Let's say you have a health concern. That you're, you're feeling a little stressed about it. Maybe the health concern of a, of a loved one. You're a little concerned about it. And so you're reading. You want to dwell in the words of, of Jesus. And so you come to 1 Peter 5, 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you d- you dwell in that word, and you think about this dominion of Almighty God, whose kingdom rules and reigns over all, and you know that that same dominion is the dominion of Jesus. Jesus is the one who is exalted and seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He has dominion over all things. And you know, because he laid down his life for you to make you his friend, you know he's exercising that dominion for your good. And so you, you dwell in that, you have to think about that, you're praying, oh Father, help me. What, what have I to fear? What have I to dread leaning on the everlasting arms of the one who has the dominion forever and ever? And you ask him, hey, Father, to do this. Help me to live in the confidence and the freedom and the joy and the fruitfulness, the peace and contentment that comes from knowing that yours is the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we are so needy and so we bring our prayers. And we need to do it again and again and again. But we see that his word is a never-ending supply of nutrients that we might grow and that we might bear fruit for him. That's what it means to abide in Jesus and have his words abiding in you and praying that you would become a fruitful person. If you would wonder how is your abiding in Jesus going, like how are you when you're abiding in Jesus, ask how is your abiding in God's word? How is your appetite for the scriptures? Because it's in the scriptures that we find life. Psalm 119, 25, My soul clings to to the dust. You ever felt like that? Feel like that this morning? No one's going to raise their hand on that. But you go through seasons where it feels like your soul is clinging to the dust, what do you do? You pray. If you have no feeling at all, you can still speak the words. My soul clings to the dust, Father. Give me life according to your word. Give me life according to your That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible for your seasons of feeling like your soul is clinging to the dust. And he bears fruit through that. I want to talk a lot more about your need for the word of God. I get very burdened for you. I may have said this recently. I'm not sure. I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it. I get very burdened for you when I talk to members of this church, and particularly because you're the ones I'm particularly responsible to give an account for. When I talk to members of this church who are very, eh, about your intake of god's word you can't live you can't live without god's word i know it's hard i know there are seasons in life where it's really hard but if you had time to eat today you have time to feed on scripture that's not me talking that's a godly man named joe I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job 23 verse twelve. Brothers and sisters, feed on the scriptures. If you're struggling to be in the word, please, I'm not gonna condemn you, I'm not gonna berate you, I want to help you. I want to help you feed on scripture because you can't live and bear fruit and abide in Jesus without his word. We want to feed on his word. We want to speak his word to others. I could go on and on here, but we need to move on to the fruit. Is that loving one another. Is that encouraging one another that is the fruit he speaks of here. The fruit of our abiding in Jesus. Notice in this passage, Jesus does not command his people to bear fruit, but he actually promises that it will be so. Three times he says it. Look at the end of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I could conclude this message. I could, I, could, I could come down here and land the plane by elaborating on exactly what this fruit is and, you know, its quality and its quantity. Clearly, the passage speaks about love for others. It says that a couple of times. We just heard about that call to love one another back at the end of chapter 13. We could talk more about that, but I, I just don't think that that's what you need most this morning. If you want to think more about what is that love, what does that fruit look like? I encourage you if I offer you to consider those one another commandments that are found all throughout the New Testament. I, I prayed through a number of them earlier in the service. You could read the Sermon on the Mount this week. you could read Ephesians chapters four and five and six. Uh, you could read the book of Proverbs. You could read many things in God's word to, to help you think about that rich fruit that arises. From our union with Jesus. But I think what I really want to make sure you grasp before I sit down this morning is that if you are a disciple, if you're abiding in Jesus, you will bear fruit in His glory. I want to make sure that you have that expectation. Verse 8 of John 15 is not some wish dream, it is an expectation that Jesus has for His disciples. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Is that your expectation, Christian brother or sister? Is that an actual, practical goal of yours? In Jesus, through union with him, you are supposed to be fruitful. If you are abiding in him, you will be fruitful. And I just want to make sure I want to make sure that you understand that that you see that in God's word. I don't. I just tell you this a lot of times. Don't don't I say this a lot? I I get loud. I'm yelling. You should never listen to me or think what I'm saying to you is accurate or true because I'm loud. I want you. That's why I told you to have your Bible open. It seems to me in this passage, and there are others, that Jesus is expecting. He is not expecting you to just read this passage and say, "I can't bear fruit, but thank God I'm forgiven." That does not seem to be Jesus' expectation. But it seems to me that perhaps many uh, Christians, maybe some of you in this uh, gathering right now, you don't really think that verse 8 is obtainable. You tend to dwell more in Romans 7.24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I'm just saying, uh, Romans 7.24 should not be your life verse as a Christian. Maybe consider John 15, verse 8 as a light verse. Because Jesus is saying here that fruit is an infallible indicator of faith. Now, let me give the necessary qualifications to what I've just said. We may not assess our fruit rightly. We may not feel particularly encouraged about the amount of fruit that we see in our lives. We are promised nowhere in Scripture that we will attain perfect fruitfulness this side of of glory. But Jesus' word stands. If you're in Christ by faith, you will bear fruit. In fact, there is a strong warning here, isn't there, to those branches that would be in the vine in some way, but not bearing fruit. I said we would come back to this, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And if we wonder what is that taking away, he explains it more in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now these warnings do not speak of a genuine disciple of Jesus falling away and finally being lost. Uh, John's gospel is especially clear in communicating that those who have truly been given new life by God's Spirit will persevere to the end, and he will not lose any of those whom the Father has given to him. This passage is warning of of a superficial kind of attachment to Jesus. An attachment that you all should earnestly consider, whether this superficial attachment may be the one that you are walking in, where you're involved in religious activity and perhaps appear to be one of Jesus' people in certain ways, but it shows itself finally in fruitlessness and ends in eternal judgment. I would say Judas is one such example that we have right there in John's Gospel. He was around the people of Jesus. He did some things that made him look like he was a disciple of Jesus, but he wasn't truly intact. He wasn't truly in the vine. Looked like he was, but he wasn't. And he was broken off and and burned. If such warnings are troubling to you, if they produce some unrest in your soul about whether you are in fact Jesus' disciple, I actually tell you that you shouldn't. Terrified if you do feel. If you have some uncertainty, don't put, don't suppress that feeling or that thought. Speak to somebody. If you're not sure that you're bearing fruit and proving yourself to be his disciple, proving doesn't mean you show him that you're good enough to be a disciple, it means demonstrate that you are in fact a disciple. If you're concerned about fruitfulness in your life, speak to another brother or sister, speak to an elder in this church. Let us counsel you. Let us care for you. Let us pray for you. Don't bury... Is it bury or bury? We are just talking about this. See, we, I just this came out of my mind. Don't bury that... That sentiment. Talk about it. Be sure. It's important. And do go back to the foundation, brothers and sisters. Go back to the foundation. Your fruit is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. And right? has that not been very clear in this passage? As the Father has loved me... So have I loved you. Greater love has no one in this that he laid down his life for his friends. He did that for you when there was no fruitfulness in your life. Go back to that foundation as often as you need it. But as surely as you live on that foundation, as you revel and rejoice in Christ's finished work for you, do not minimize or neglect Christ's work in you. Through your communion with the living, risen, almighty Christ, who has dominion forever and ever. Jesus' parting message to his disciples is not, you're a big failure, you know. And you're only ever going to be a big failure. So it's a good thing that you can find some solace in the fact that I sovereignly chose you from eternity. Because you'll never see anything in your life that would actually confirm that choice and become a source of joy to you as you see my work in you. Don't ever expect that. That's not Jesus' work. Again, the necessary qualifications. We should find joy and comfort in God's eternal choice of us, which was completely unconditional and due to nothing foreseen or foreknown in us. We should find our ultimate security in his objective of saving work. For us, which we contribute nothing to. But here, in John 15, Jesus is promising joy that will come in the course of our fruitful obedience. He's promising them joy because he's promising that they will, in union with him, bear fruit. Look at verse verse 10. You still chatting with me? I'm sorry, I don't mean to yell at you like this. I I am burdened about this. It's hot. You got a breeze going in there, a breeze? Right? I'm almost done. Listen to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full Kids, I think you can actually help your parents understand what I'm talking about here better than maybe they can help you understand i think you might be able to help them understand this one kids you ever had one of those days when you're just nasty you're just in a really foul mood and you know it you're being grumpy and angry you're making things a little bit difficult for mom or dad you ever had one of those days yeah okay praise the lord for honest young men and women do you do you know do you do you think one of those days I wonder if mommy and daddy are going to kick me out of the house and not let me be their child anymore. You don't think that. You don't think that. You know your parents love you. You know you're secure in their love. But you do know also, don't you, that when you don't have one of those nasty, cranky, awful days, but you just really love it, your your parents, you're enjoying them, you're doing what they're saying, and you're you're going and doing. You, you know it's it's kind of more enjoyable you really experience their love and their delight and their happiness in you when you're, when you're doing what they ask you to do. You know that? Uh-oh. They don't seem to know that necessarily well. And that's a little picture. I'm not talking about uh, salvation by works here. I'm saying Jesus has given us joy. He's promising us joy as we walk in his ways. It's not oppressive or burdened, burden, burdensome to be told, hey, Keep my commandments. They're for our good. They're for our joy. He said it very, very clearly in, in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, I've spoken that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And you know fullness of joy, you know fullness of relationship when you're walking in the way of the one whom you love. This is how I fear some of us maybe are living in that pre Juneteenth realm of not understanding who we are or what's true of us in union with Jesus. When when, when we are always talking as if our Christian experience is, I'm such a wretched man, but praise God, salvation is by grace through faith. I, I, I don't think that's what Christian maturity always sounds like. Praise God that it is true that when we were wretched and when we could do nothing and when we had a body of death, he rescued us by his sheer mercy in Christ. But in Christ, we have been set free from the law of sin and death, which is what Paul was lamenting in Romans 7 when he was talking about that wretched man. If you've been dwelling, if you've been living in Romans 7, 24, I might encourage you to peek up your eyes a few verses to chapter 7, verse 4, which says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. The spirit of the risen Christ is in you, brother and sister. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. God's word says you have Satan defeated, death conquering power in you as you abide in him, count it to be so, brothers and sisters. Do not live like a slave. Do not live like a prisoner. But live as a ransomed friend of the almighty living Christ. Our obedience does not create our relationship with Jesus. Have I said that clearly? Have you heard me say that? Our, our, our obedience to Jesus does not create our relationship to him. But it does characterize our relationship with him and that is for our joy because his commandments are for our good Praise the Lord. every disciple of jesus can always be fruitful through our union with christ as our life-giving bond i know i've just been talking a whole lot thank you for your patience I'm going to wait for this motorcycle to go by and say that line again, because that's really what I want you to get. I've tried to do a lot of biblical explanation to help you understand this sentence. Every disciple of Jesus can always be fruitful through our union with Christ as our life-giving life. Where's that pruning taking place in your life? Where's that pain taking place? What are you looking out in the week ahead that has you uneasy, that has you fearful, that has you angry, that has you depressed? Every disciple of Jesus can always be fruitful through our union with Christ as our life-giving God. We're about to sing a song that we love. I think it's a song we love to sing. He will hold me fast and we're going to sing, he'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold you fast. His promises will last, brothers and sisters. And that includes his promise that you will bear fruit. And so prove to be his disciples to the glory of God. The Father. So dwell in this love, brothers and sisters. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide in my life. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, we, we we want to we want to know you better. We want to abide in you more regularly. We want to experience more of what it means to be abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit to your glory. We are, some of us, far too easily, too easily pleased. Not with with the stuff of this world, but too easily satisfied with the attainments that we think are possible for us in Christ. We pray that we would return regularly, even hourly, to that finished work that you have performed for us. To bring us into union with jesus and we pray father that you would help us in union with christ to experience more and more newness more and more fruitfulness more joy more contentment more love more kindness more faithfulness more gentleness more self-control more wisdom more humility we want to experience more Not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but because our heart's desire is to glorify you. Make it so, Father. Keep us, hold us fast in your love, and be pleased to fulfill all of your promises in us. For our good and for your glory. We ask this through Christ. Amen.